Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. Now, in season two, The Cannamom Show continues on its mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories with you. Go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Happy Cannabis Month, Dave. You know, yeah, it's all, all month. You know, this show will actually be out after 420, which is our national holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll have to ask today's guest about her plans. But I am, I am looking forward to helping out some of my friends who are hosting events. Like, remember Reverend Kelly from Kelly's Greens Lounge? Of course, Green? she's yeah, good. Can't really forget Reverend Kelly. And and I'll be listening to my new can of podcasting sisters, Ashley and Riley, who host Chronic Gals Podcast. They are young, they are fun, and Dave, well, let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Ash. And I'm Rye. And we're the Chronic Gals. Together, we host a cannabis podcast where we get to share virtual joints with people doing awesome things in the cannabis space. <laughs> I mean, we're doing really good. Ooh. Yeah, that is nice. How do you feel after that, that joint? I feel giggly as I know. <laughs> Grab your stash and follow along as we celebrate cannabis, share stories, and build community around this amazing plant. Download the latest episode of Chronic Gals Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Young and fun, not like me. <laughs> but I do quilt. <laughs> and if that isn't fun, what is? So quick update on the Technicolor Cannabis Quilt. It's official. It's going to be a giveaway. It's not happening birthday like I thought. It's going to be June 1st, so we can celebrate moms, can of moms, the entire month of May. Woohoo! Yeah. And we are, yeah, and we are <laughs> joining forces with my friend Dory of the Half-Baked Housewives in Texas and, you know, my Canadian can of moms 
Amy, Leslie, and the Reverend Kelly from Eve's Collective. So they got Dave. Does cannabis, does cannabis taste different in Canada? It's probably I don't the know, same. But their lives are different. You know, they, the Canadian government covers some of Amy's son's CBD medicine. Really? I, <laughs> That's the place to be if you're sick, I tell you. Canada's the place to be. Whatever. It's cold, but maybe cold's better for you. All right. All right so giveaway after 420, because obviously no one in cannabis can think about anything until after 420. They can't celebrate anything else, not even mothers. So we will be having a great kind of giveaway. Stay tuned. More information later. Follow us. And today we have a our guest and a special segment guest, which we've been doing a lot of lately. So I love that. More ladies sharing their stories about what they do in cannabis. Victoria Vegas is better known as the canna butter babe and she's going to teach us a little bit about making canna butter and why creating quality cannabis edibles is so important for women's health and before we begin the canna mom show wants to thank red belly honey for making today's show possible today's guest today's guest is the chief operating officer and co-founder of the emerald turtle a minority minority owned cannabis venture she has always had a love for business and numbers and has been working in finance and accounting since she was just 16. Today's guest graduated magna cum laude from Northeastern University. I love that school. Everyone knows that. Where she earned her degree in both accounting and finance and a minor in African American studies. With her love for entrepreneurship, she used her 20 years of experience in both public and corporate accounting companies like Gillette. Ernst & Young, and Johnson & Johnson to pursue the start of her own business and to eventually co-found the largest vision therapy practice in Connecticut. But she is a Massachusetts girl like me, and the legalization of cannabis in Massachusetts sparked the entrepreneurial passion of her and her husband, and they decided to enter to become a home delivery provider and has been fighting for others as well as the co-founder and board member of MCAD, the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery. So, please welcome to the Canna Mom Show, a Massachusetts Canna Queen, Janelle Goines. Welcome, my friend. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Welcome. So, let's, you're smart, you're invested, you're doing a lot of things. Can we just start the Cannabis Commission and your work with them? I mean, can we just dig right in? Um, we can go to your personal story a little bit later, but you're fighting for yourself, but you're, comp- you know, this is very complicated. And so can you sort of explain how delivery licenses and social equity came to be, how you made it happen, and, you know, what sort of, been, I know a little bit what's been happening since, but just, just can you just round that up quickly? <laughs> quickly. <laughs> we have 45 minutes, we want to talk about you too. So let's talk about the big issue first. Right. So what happened was the, we had always honestly wanted to go into delivery. That was our main focus from the beginning. And we were waiting for the regulations to come out on how delivery would work, you know, the applications to open all of that. And just when so we, give a sense of space and time, what year were you starting this process? Were you starting I, to think? I know, everyone, I know. It's, and they're like dog years. We started, I would say officially when we actually started to actually work with someone to see if we could do a partnership, that was probably fall of 2018. Okay, so yeah. There we go. Yeah. And then once the delivery regs actually came out, that was when the problem started for us because we had been planning and doing our business plan with the idea that delivery would be a full business. And when I say a full business, I mean that as thinking that you're going to be a delivery company, you would think that you'd be purchasing product and then you would be delivering it to 
homes, consumers at a retail price. The way that it was actually set up though, was more of a courier model or an Uber Eats model, but worse than an Uber Eats model because what they wanted us to do was instead go to the retailer and the retailer would have would have taken the entire sale. You would just be picking up the package and delivering it. What that that model does is, first of all, it takes a lot of the margin out, right? Because you're going from whatever you purchase at wholesale to retail, and you're splitting whatever that is with the retailer. That retail split would really be controlled by the retailer because the retailer is the one purchasing wholesale. So you now have to negotiate with the retailer on some type of discount to keep yourself in business. Then on top of it, you could charge delivery fees. Now, my argument was that when I looked at that, when I, my husband and I looked at that business, that was not a business we wanted to go into. Everybody's getting into this business. It's risky. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. Getting into cannabis because we want to create successful businesses that will create generational wealth. That to me was not a business that would create generational wealth. It was a gig business maybe to me and it was very hampered in the fact that you needed retailers to want you right so it was supposed to be a two-year exclusivity period where only se's and ees could get a delivery license this two-year period you would think you'd be able to get deals with retailers what we were finding is that se's were calling us saying they couldn't they weren't getting any fair deals with retailers and just so uh, not everyone knows can you just define social equity the ee and the social equity just so people know what you're explaining and talking about sure se or uh, social equity participants are i don't know if i have all the requirements in my head but they just a general just a general sense of what the population yeah. we're talking about yeah they they uh, the commission has identified 29 cities, towns in Massachusetts that they feel have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs on marijuana. And those 29 towns, if you meet the requirements as an individual in one of those towns, I think you have to have been here for the last five or 10 years and other things, then you qualify for the program. You can apply. If you meet everything and get let in, there is an entire education program that they have. And the perks of being in the program are that you get reduced license fees, you get reduced, I think, believe, believe metric is cheaper, and we get priority in getting our licenses as right. far as, uh, I believe it, with all of them, if we, even for cultivation, we would get okay. priority. But for social equity, you only could apply. You were the only ones that can apply for delivery and social consumption when it comes out okay. for a certain amount of time. EEs is the same thing. EEs was a program that was very short-lived in the be beginning of this whole thing. I believe it was open for two weeks. And anyone who got let into that is also qualified as the same things that we are qualified for under the SE program. Okay. And then, then the, and so this, the listeners understand. So the whole delivery license was to sort of carve out an area of the industry that could create generational wealth. I talk about this a lot. This is a business. People want to get into it to make money and to create wealth for their families. And we understand how it impacts certain communities. So we're trying to carve out a certain part of the business with a certain period of time that only population get into. This is a very expensive industry. There's all sorts of other issues with it, but the hope that they can sort of get a foothold before things go crazy. Basically. And, and the reason for that really is, is that um, the way that it was set up, RMDs got in first, which are the medical dispensaries. And for right. it to be a medical dispensary, you had to have, I believe, 500,000 of seasoned cash, right? That cuts out a lot, a lot of the population out of marijuana. And then those were the first ones that were supposed to get 
dibs at becoming going recreational. So you and they're they're vertically integrated. So you have it's a system set up where and I have more. They also <laughs> all the, I, I go on about this all the time. Go I on. Know. <laughs> all the retail licenses in each town were also limited and taken up by these bigger guys that got in first. So it was there were uh, it was obstacle after obstacle to get into this business. Not just that you need cash and connections. Right. So that's why the program exists. And that's why delivery and social consumption were carved out, because if something wasn't carved out, there would be no entrance. Right. Right. Now, they were trying to carve out delivery because they also wanted to have a lower um, barrier of entry business that people could get into. That was what the courier model was. And who was, and just, can we start sort of back up? So was it the Cannabis Commission, the commissioners who came up with this model? Who yes. Yeah, they did. OK. Yes. OK. And the point was, is that, okay, you still would have to have a building. You still have to purchase your cars. You still have to have two drivers in every car, body cams, et cetera. The, what you wouldn't have to do is purchase inventory, have to pack, yeah, have to pack the orders. What else wouldn't you have to do? Take the orders, I guess, but you were allowed to take the orders at least as long as they were routed through the retailer. So really only thing that they stopped you from being able to do as a courier is have inventory. The problem with stopping that portion of the business is it takes the business. Yeah. The margin sits there, right. right? So that was what we went to the commission to hope that we could make them see, get them to see. And being that we're both have financial backgrounds, we came at it with spreadsheets, right? I love that. Numbers <laughs> talk, numbers talk. So, all right. So, okay. So you come, so what, so 2018, you're going through the process. You realize how hard it is. It's not just the capital. It's not just the access to small towns in Massachusetts for a social equity applicant, which could be a whole other show. But it was also just the fact that these rules are sort of set up, not correctly. I mean, the idea is correct, but there was some policy. So you you stepped in with your husband and a coalition of people. How did this work? And who are you talking to first? Yes. And I think that was in 2000. Now we're in 2019 by this yeah. point, um, the end of 2019, going into COVID beginning. And what we were doing is honestly was just SEs talking together. We, we all got on calls every so often to talk about our process and to help each other. And we were talking about the difficulties and someone had brought up you guys should speak to the commissioners and maybe show them the financial side. And I believe it was my attorney, Blake Mensing, who actually got us in to speak to the commissioners. And we spoke to Commissioner Title and Commissioner Hoffman first. And what we showed them was the spreadsheets that I made. And basically I made them dynamic so that you could, you could say the retailers were giving you no percent. You could say that you were getting $30 in delivery costs. You could, you, we could change anything they wanted to change. And what you really saw was that it was, it would be very hard to succeed and grow because it just wasn't a lot of meat on the bones and all the meat you had, you were begging for. And what we were finding is that those deals weren't even happening. So they weren't even being presented with deals that would keep them in business. And I, we really felt that if you hadn't gone through the exhaustive measures of actually seeing if this would work financially, there was a lot of people just excited. Delivery was ours, you know, so we, they were going to apply anyway. And I, we really were concerned that everyone's going to lose, use their parents and own life savings in something that honestly was being given to us that was more optics than it was substance. 
but that and again so i i love politics pot politics religion bring them all on and so the idea that we're coming you know policymakers it's so important these people who are placed in positions to make policy don't actually know everything or even no one knows everything so we need to be very conscious of who's talking to them and often it is the people with money they're white men coming in talking about how they're going to take care of these communities and they have lots of assets so that's going to make everyone safe and that might be the only message they're getting and i've met you know commissioner hoffman i did an interview with him many years ago you know he he comes from a certain world and you know they need to he have information good information and solid information they can hear so i love that you're doing this you're getting out there with numbers which you know it's not a feely i mean and this is the feeliest touchiest industry i've ever been in we start our meetings with intentions you know <laughs> but <Yes. laughs> we need to elevate the conversation and professional women are doing it like janelle okay that's great so you wait you talk to them and they were responsive like Yeah. And honestly, what you said, Joyce, I didn't really, I'm not in that side of things. I don't do um, lobbying or, you know, anything like that. So for me, it was just like, okay, I'm I'm in the finance world. Showing them that spreadsheet to me was just like, it's just a spreadsheet. But (laughs) when we did, like you said, showed it to the commissioners, I think it just wasn't a side that they were seeing. And they're making a lot of decisions from constituents coming in a lot of different angles I think too and you don't always see it that way they thought they were making a lower barrier of entry and I needed to show them that that wasn't really it shouldn't really have been the goal because I don't know you can make that in cannabis it's an expensive industry to be in so we got that message across with the numbers and with what we were trying to just express with the numbers and we got them to think and we surprised we were surprised because I thought that the rules were being made honestly to protect big retail that's what it seemed like right when I when I questioned that they said that is not what it was it was for the reasons of making a lower barrier of entry and they also wanted to make sure that they could protect the seed to sale flow my argument was the lower barrier of entry I with all the regulations they want to put on delivery, it's not going to be a lower barrier of entry. So make it a business that has meat on it that you can actually make money if you're going to have to spend it. Then the other argument is you have an issue with seed to sale, but you don't have an issue with seed to sale for retailers. We should be following the same rules that they are for seed to sale that make you comfortable. So there has to be, is there a question of if we can follow those rules? If not, then put those same rules in place and we should be able to do the same thing. And I don't know what the argument could be against that. And were and you that, working with attorney Messing? Was he helping you with these or are you just going no, in? And just- he got us the interview. It got us the you know call with them. But after that, no, it was just conversations with the commissioners. The first conversation was just, we didn't actually bring a, the spreadsheet to the first conversation. We spoke about it. And then we had another conversation where commissioner, I mean, chairman Hoffman asked us to show him the spreadsheet. And then we went from there to talk to Commissioner McBride and Commissioner Flanagan, just to really start to explain to them what we were seeing and why we needed one where we could purchase wholesale. And they were, okay, so like, all right, so just people who aren't from, this is very Massachusetts specific, so anyone who's out of state, sorry. And we live it. (laughs) (laughs) But can we just talk about Shailene Title's role in all of this? So, you know, our commission, it's board, it has a variety of people who are appointed by a variety of people to get a variety of opinions. Obviously, Shailene's, you know, she's had a specific role when she was on. Can you talk about how she helped with this endeavor and how she worked with her other commissioners? Commissioner Title has always been supportive in being able to at least help us to 
think through what we were going to ask for. I think that we came to her with the same argument. She was already fighting for some of the things we were oh, saying. She was, anyway. okay. Yeah, but I think that we did even show her a new approach, a new side of it, where it really wasn't, they really, they really had taken a lot of the meat off the bone. I don't know if she completely thought that beforehand. So she was supportive. Honestly, I didn't have, they were all pretty supportive. Oh, once they were. We, yeah, once we showed them the numbers, it didn't seem, what they were trying to say is they are for the little guy. So that wasn't, once I showed that to them, it was, okay, we do need to fix this so that there is an actual opportunity. And I think that then, you know, the cat was out of the bag. We had created a delivery operator license and retailers weren't expecting it. The CDA wasn't expecting it. So then everything kind of- Yeah, all right, so we'll just back up a little bit. So you're, so just, again, there's a couple of different groups that represent delivery in Massachusetts. When the delivery- when Massachusetts started, it was seed to sale. You had to have a lot of cash. It was people who had a lot of capital could come in. And I think those are the people who are at the CDA. And then the MCAD is a coalition of other deliverers. If you want to explain it, how there are two different yeah. delivery. Well, so the CDA is a coalition of retailers. retailers. Um, yeah. And it was formed by a lot of the big guys because they were the first ones in the industry right mm-hmm. so they formed it and they really run it it's run by Tracy and they lobby and push for things that are beneficial for retail and then what we did is after Aaron and I started to speak to the commissioners we also were like I said it was an SE group that kind of were talking so Devin and Devin Alexander and Chris uh, Fevry decided to start MCAD and we we were willing to go on as advisors for it. Okay. So we all kind of developed the group where we would now bring in the community into what we were seeing, that the commissioners were willing to hear what we were saying. And now we needed to show them who was in support of it. And it was great that we did that because the CDA was about to start to fight. <laughs> yeah. So here, so here we, so it had a couple of hearings. A lot of things went through process, mm-hmm. process, process, process. It was voted on. It was happening. This license for a wholesale delivery, social equity thing went through. Everyone was happy. And then the guys or the people, I'm going to say guys, the people who thought, I don't know, I have to stop being so mean to men, Dave. I know. Uh, (laughs) Once in a while, throw us a bone, would you? (laughs) So they came up and were upset and they decided to file a lawsuit. Is that correct? Against this. And so what happened? next it actually started before the lawsuit the lawsuit was and what, and it's like time frames now we're in 2020 now aren't we where are yes. we yeah um the lawsuit was after it was at the end of 2020 when it was okay. going to be filed it was already filed or okay but before that happened there was rumors that they were going to sue but before that happened what started to happen is all the towns started to turn against delivery so we got the delivery operator license passed or we knew it was coming. And when everyone started to go out into the towns to see, can we get HCAs in delivery? All the towns were now saying that they were putting moratoriums up on giving any more HCAs. They weren't doing delivery. They needed more time to assess how this was going to affect the town and the retailers. You know, so now it was like, okay, so they didn't win on the CCC side. They have more power in the towns. So now we're in a town fight. So now I said this again, this is so town specific for anyone who's not here. And the whole host agreement thing is a whole nother issue we could go in about. But so towns have a lot of power, local control, that's Massachusetts. And so now you actually have this ability through the state and the 
the local communities are saying, mm, I'm not so sure. And you think they're getting influenced from. Yes, because the articles that came out were with quotes from the CDA and quotes from the MMA, which the MMA is the municipal municipal. Well, it's in all the towns. It's a municipal yeah, 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 the group. Okay, association. Yep. I forget what the other M is for at the moment. But they were basically saying that it was it was misinformation. They were saying that they wouldn't make money for deliveries. People would be able to deliver to their towns, and you wouldn't make any money off of it. So that was really stealing money right out of the retailers' pockets that they put in place. There was what else were. They, it was scare tactics. Whatever. I just I feel like people. If you're being if you're being frightened, you're being lied to. So all right. Yes. So they're trying to scare people. But fortunately, you have the MCAD. You have a coalition of people who are talking to the. I kind of use this as a hopeful Massachusetts story, though. So you yes. are talking to the commissioners. So then, what happens after they? You know, kind well, of get a fight. The commissioners are the lawsuits. So we're we're fighting with the towns. All we're doing is going from town to town, trying to figure out the one town that's going to let someone in. Because when someone lets once one town lets someone in the ball starts rolling, right? Because that means delivery is going to happen. And if you don't let it into your town, then you really won't make money from it. And so we did that and we started to talk to who we could in the towns to start to get rid of, get the misinformation gone. Like this is really what delivery would look like. And then the lawsuit came out. <laughs> and when the lawsuit came out, it was, we knew it was coming, but it was still like, wow, they're really not going to stop. So we had to galvanize the community again. We put out a, a basically a boycott to say we were no longer going to patronize these companies that were not supporting social equity. Like now we're going to go through a lawsuit like they did in Cambridge three times. My town. <laughs> and we know who did it too. So that's yes. not even go there. Exactly. <laughs> So that was, and believe it or not, it caved over like a weekend and we weren't really actually surprised, but I think it was enough bad publicity and maybe not thinking that they had a strong enough case anyway, that they, that was dropped. Thank goodness. So we could move forward and just fight on the town front. (laughs) And that's where we are. All right. So people, that was just a long story of how it even came to the idea that Janelle and her husband could actually move forward and have one. She had to fight for an entire industry. And this is the thing I keep saying about cannabis. We have to be so nice across the board. We have to be nice when we go into the towns. We have these community host agreements that no other business is expected to do on top of the taxes and the fees for things that never really happen. And then they're making it even more, you know, the cannabis equity capital, it's all tied together. Social equity. How do we build a new business? model janelle's trying to do it okay so how does one create a viable cannabis business janelle (laughs) well that's what we're trying to do you have to get in first i'm gonna guess so so we're working on getting in and we've had a building in wareham for a while now because let's talk such emerald turtle is that the that's the name of our company will be the emerald turtle we're looking to cultivation manufacturing and delivery okay so we got the building, we acquired our building in the beginning of um, 2020, and we basically were stalled a lot. <laughs> we had our community outreach meeting in February, and we still were not able to get on the selectman agenda until now, you know, I had to have our attorney write a letter to the town. We had to tell them the process that why this process has looked the way it has for us, and we finally got on the agenda. And oh, great. 20. So maybe that'll be good luck. 
I pray that by the time the show comes out, yeah, that's awesome. Four twenty. That's a good sign. That's funny. All right. So you're still in the process of trying yeah, to get. So you're, are you holding onto the building yet? So wait, what are you? All right. So again, this is this. Listen to me, people. When I get into this industry, you have to wait to get these agreements, these community agreements, and they can hold you up forever. And you're paying for rent and. It's a very hard business model, and we haven't even talked about capital or how you capitalize. But we're not gonna we're gonna move on past that. All right. So you have the building. You're going before the commission. I mean, before the board, the local board. And what do you think is going to happen, or what are they looking for? Well, right now for? we already had our community outreach meeting that went well. Right now we are looking to get them to vote for us to be able to negotiate the HCA. Okay. So how many of them are going to be for or against delivery and what kind of questions we're going to get? I don't know. You know, we have preempted it with giving them kind of a whole packet of question and answers around delivery to try to get rid of all the myths. But, you know, we'll see how it goes and fingers crossed because after that, we would negotiate the HCA, get on the meeting again, I believe, to get it executed. And then we have our HCA. So, and then you get into the application process with the state, but that's really what we're trying to do. And in this industry, what I really think needs to happen is for more of us, you know, the independents, the small guys to get in, the craft growers, the connoisseur level producers, because once that starts to happen, there will be a shift. You know, the community will now not just be on the outside saying we're trying to get in, but we will be a community within the business that can then band together to pop, prop each other up because we know things, things are happening now, like the larger guys forcing people to, if you buy flour, you also have to buy edibles. If you, if you start to do stuff like that, the, the independent edible companies, right? Now, regardless of companies liked their product or not, I need cannabis from someone and 90% of the canopy currently is controlled by a group. So you have to work with them. So I now have to take you, you, you know, I like your small independent organic, everything great product, but I have to take you off because my budget has been taken by these edibles that I don't know if I even can sell. Well, wow. all right. That's this... new, you know, that's the new thing. So I just think it's one thing after the next that we just have to keep fighting for each other together. Well, that's the whole idea. We're building a new business model. And that's why I think women have to run it. And that's why we, you know, we have, we're sick yeah. of, we just, you know, you can join our table, you can fit into our rules. We're just, I'm tired of fitting into someone else's rules. They don't make any sense. So this is supposed to be an expansive plant, female plant. It's healing us. It's a wellness industry. It can create generational wealth. It can heal the earth and you know make your skin look better it can make you feel better by eating it it has everything so you want to make new rules about how the business model works and that's what you're yeah. doing all right so this is where you are all right so you're in the process and then what's your i don't know what is your vision about emerald turtle that you think is unique compared to i don't know like how do you is it going to be marketed against actual dispensaries like what's that i know like in canada they can't even like market stuff i mean it's a whole different world but how are you talking about your business compared to others like i talk a lot about we kind of female friendly that makes you know sometimes buying cannabis can feel uncomfortable so just talk a little bit about your vision we are definitely aiming at the like we said connoisseur craft market the we want to educate the consumer so that weed does not become commoditized which is what we think some are trying to do with it like it's corn or buying an orange and it's not the same it's more aligned along the lines of wine cigars you know fine liquors that you really can educate yourself on and find different effects and tastes and 
compliments and you know all that stuff and so we want to bring that back into the industry where it's not just weed we want to bring in social consciousness like having making money but having good intent like yes we want to make money but we do not think that you do that at any cost amen Um, and getting customers for us it's going to be the fact that these are the people that we support these are the types of companies that we support the ones that are like us and if you support that, hopefully you'll support us because we are going to try to source the top quality product from companies that care about the community and what they're doing, not just about making money. And this gives more opportunities to more people to make more products that can be sold. You know, it's a it's a community, people. It really is. Like the idea that the business model, it's vertical. I mean, that is how it came into the state, that one business does everything. You know, we're trying to expand that with their... And once retail is here now, we have lots of stores, which allows a lot of ancillary businesses, which allows a lot of people to make other kinds of products that can be sold. And, you know, this is still state specific. What do you think? Are you involved with any of the federal stuff, Janelle? Like what's going on? I mean, I I watch it. I'm I'm not hoping (laughs) that it happens very quickly. What I would like to happen is for obviously to be descheduled. Because that would help us with a ton of things. But as far as opening the state borders, no, I'm not in a rush for that because I know you think you're dealing with sharks now, open the state borders and see, you know, like once we were talking about the Philip Morris's and the Amazons and all of that, like you need time to actually build this ecosystem, build this company that you're trying to start before I think it goes federal and you're really fighting the big dogs. Yeah, I can see that. You know, it's like building roots in your own community so you're strong enough to stay. I, I can totally see that. So go Massachusetts people. I'm into this. Uh, <laughs> my little micro leadership. So we have to take, we're going to be back with today's guest, Janelle Goines. But before we finish up, I know you are looking forward to learning about can of butter from the can of butter babe, who I know could make something really delicious for me to eat with my tea because you know I'm a tea drinker. And at the end of the day, I like to curl up on the couch with a warm herbal tea sweetened with honey to take the edge off. It helps me sleep better. And as all moms know, a good night's sleep helps us be our best mom self. And a honey that is a bit different from anything I've tried before is red belly honey. This is a hemp honey that contains the best benefits of CBD. But this honey is very, very different from anything you've tried before. That's because the bees infuse the honey with CBD. Yes, you heard me say that. The bees do all the work. This isn't lab created or manufactured. These bees drink nectar from wildflowers and plants, as well as a patented hemp nectar blend to make their honey. The result is a CBD-rich honey that's more efficient and works faster because it's water-soluble and has higher bioavailability. And I don't just stir it into my tea. I drizzle it on my morning toast, mix it into my yogurt, and sometimes I shake it in my favorite cocktail. And my husband says it's delicious right off the spoon. And if you need more persuasion, Food & Wine Magazine called it a best pick of 2020 and worth the hype. Where can you find this magical honey? This honey can be found at redbellyhoney.com. And when you are ready to try this magical honey, go to redbellyhoney.com, where your first jar will be $20 off. Just add your email and you'll get a discount code for your very first purchase. You are going to love it. Red Belly, 
honey. So find it out. So can of butter, babe. Victoria, how are you? I am absolutely amazing, Joyce. How are you on this fine Wednesday here in Massachusetts? I know. It's strangely beautiful. My cherry tree is starting to bloom. It's pink. It's green. It's not freezing. It's not gray. And I'm on the phone with two fun people to talk to. So I'm having a good time today. (laughs) I am also having an amazing time. I am just here infusing some duck fat. And I am very excited to speak to you and everyone about infusing can of butter. All right. So let's say your name is just to start with your name. How did you take that? And let's talk about your favorite way to do this and just start to finish. I'll give you five, seven minutes. Just go, Victoria. <laughs> my, favorite way to, my favorite way to infuse canna butter and that's C-A-N-N-A-H because I am a Boston girl through and through and I may have a tad bit of an accent. So we say butter around these parts. The, my favorite way to infuse my butter, luckily now is with my own herbal infuser. That's right, you heard it here first. Canna Butter Babe has herbal infusers that will be on the market within the next month and a half. Oh, I've I need a link for that, Victoria. That'll go, that'll go in the newsletter. Yes. Go, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I am. I have worked with a manufacturer to create my own Canna Butter Babe herbal infuser, which I'm super excited about. It's a reddish pink color. It's super fabulous. It can sit on your counter right next in between your Keurig and your KitchenAid. For all the can of moms out there, your, this herbal infuser will be exactly what you want. You take your, your a glass jar of ghee that you can get at any specific grocery store, your favorite, anywhere you want. And you take your plant product. We like to call it flour around here decarboxylate it for 30 minutes at 220 degrees in your oven and a beautiful decarboxylation box, preferably a can of butter babe decarboxylation box, which will also be available with the herbal infuser. You throw that in there with some sunflower lecithin that you can find anywhere on Amazon or in your uh, natural food stores, a tablespoon. And then you absolutely will have after two hours, beautiful can of butter. And my herbal infuser will be coming with an ebook to teach you how to make all of these things in your own home. And if that's not enough and you want to see my beautiful face and become a part of the Canna Butter Babe community, you can find me at Canna Butter Babe 1, C-A-N-N-A-H, B-U-T-T-A-H, B-A-B-E 1 on Instagram. And I will walk you through the process, pour yourself a nice hot tea coffee or hey if your kids are acting up and it's five o'clock somewhere shake yourself up a little dirty martini and join me on my instagram page at can about a babe one and we can talk about all things infusion that is fun all right so obviously that'll all be in the notes and <laughs> so you can connect with her so when you use your you said you use ghee and not butter what why is that what is I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible chef. Yes. I use ghee, which is clarified butter, because THC and CBD loves fat. So it sticks to the fat with the soy lecithin. So you want to make sure that you get all of your milk solids out of your butter and you just want to buy the ghee for the best infusion possible. And one thing about the butter is you can use it on anything. And if you're vegan, don't worry, we have something for you also. You can use coconut oil, avocado oil. Like I said, I'm infusing duck fat today. There are more than one way to skin a cat and there's definitely more than one way to infuse your plant product into your everyday life. 
That's so great. All right. And then uh, how do you figure out dosing in the product? I mean, some of the things that you make for people, what do you suggest? How do you figure it out once you actually have your butter to put as part of your, whatever you're making? Okay. And that's an amazing question. So this is something that everyone needs to know. Right. So when I infuse, I'll infuse an ounce. So I'll do 28 grams correctly. And there's no one way to know exactly. So that's one thing we say in the cannabis community. You can never know exactly. Even when we take our products to the lab to be tested, we still are maybe a 0.2% off or on. It just depends. So that's one disclaimer that I have to say. I cannot give you an accurate dosage. I can give you as close as possible, but it will never be completely, completely accurate. So that's my disclaimer. However, Leafly.com has an amazing system and I can walk everyone through it really quick. When you take your plant matter and you figure out the percentage of THC in your plant matter, you will definitely go to Leafly and you will say, so for me, if I take an ounce, which is 28 grams, I times, times it by 1,000. That gives me 28,000. Then I times it by 0.8 if I'm working with a THC plant that has 0.8 percentage. That gives me 5,040 per one ounce. If I infuse two cups, which is one pound of butter, I'll divide that by two, and I'll do 2,520. And there are 16 tablespoons in a cup which will give me 157 grams per tablespoon of butter. Okay, so I talk about this all the time. You got to know how to do so math to bake with cannabis. <laughs> but you don't have to do you don't have to know how to do math. Because <laughs> you go to leafly l e a f l y com. All you have to know is how much ghee you're working with, how much plant matter you're working with, and the percentage of CBD in or CBD in your plant matter. That's all you have to know. It's very easy to ask. Wherever you procure your flower from, ask if they don't know. If you know the strain of your flower, then you can just do a quick Google search to give you a rough, we love rough guesstimates. So you're within those two, you know, the 2% range of where you are. And if anyone ever wants any tutorials or has any questions, you can DM me at CannaButterBabe1 on IG. And I I always suggest dosing spoons. Start with a quarter teaspoon first and then work low and slow and then work your way up. You always want to have great experiences because the plant works in our favors when used responsibly. True that. Oh, Victoria, that's awesome. Thank you for joining us. So how to get in touch with you will be in the notes. If you want to get some of her great advice, you should follow her. She's on Clubhouse. If you're there, you know, I like to be there too. And she always has some great insights. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. All right. So back with Janelle. Again, if you've forgotten after that Butter Babe conversation, Janelle is our Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of the Emerald Turtle. So this is a family business, right? Well, your husband is your family. (laughs) (laughs) It's just me and my husband, though. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that I would say family also just because a lot of the people on our team are husband and wife duos as well surprisingly so I, I and I just think that we're we're a family because it just seems like when you're fighting for this you're kind of all just doing it together and you become that you know so that's how I want 
I want our company to feel, yes. And was cannabis a thing? Like we, so I always say cannabis, I had an awakening. I thought it killed brain cells. I didn't know nothing about it. So what was your relationship or your, you and your husband's relationship with it? No, I didn't smoke cannabis until I think the first time I was probably 20 or something and didn't even get it at that point. I didn't actually enjoy it until I did it again when I was in my 30s. So I think it was a, it was the different quality at that point. And, you know, you're a different crowd at that time. So no, I grew up kind of like you. I was on the drugs don't work task force in, in high school. And, you know, so this is, this is an egg and this is your, I mean, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. So I was, I was at that same time and no, it really wasn't um, something that I was familiar with as far as trying it. I did have friends that had done it. I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was heroin or meth or anything like that, but it was an education process for even us that probably, yeah, probably started over the last 15, 10, 15 years where we really just started to see that it wasn't so scary. It was actually a a lot better than drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that then you start to get even more advanced into how exactly amazing it is. And that was really our process as we started to get into, into this business. And even and your husband too. So it wasn't like, cause I've actually met some couples, one's consumer, one's not They're whatever. Yeah. Nothing. No. Yeah. yeah. So in high school, this they wouldn't have. This wouldn't have been a likely idea that this is where no. you would be. No, no. <laughs> Especially no, no. <laughs> Everyone who who knows me from then is quite surprised. They're surprised with me too. So let's join the club. We can have like we'll start our own club. People who are yeah. cannabis people who no one thought they would be. All right. Well, thank you. This was such a great conversation. People want to get in touch with you. They want to connect with you. They want to become advocates like you. They want to. I don't know. Well, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, we can. On MCAD, you can find us on the MCAD website. The right now okay. it's down because we are actually going through the process of kind of revamping and how we're going to be working. You can find me on Facebook, Janelle Goins on Facebook. My husband is on LinkedIn, Aaron Goins, LinkedIn, Facebook as well. So would, all good. Yeah. And what are you hoping for? What is it? What do you think in 2021, 2022? What are your big, uh, your vision now that you're 2021, moving forward? I'm hoping to open. I'm hoping that this delivery license comes out. I mean, application comes out in the next month or two so that we can get this going. I'm hoping, you know, this is a smooth from here with Wareham. <laughs> oh, it's going to Wareham. Okay. That's okay. Beautiful. Yes. In Wareham. That, that's exciting. All right. I like to go to the Cape. It's kind of the Cape. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, all right. We can deliver to the Cape. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so it's very nice to meet you in person. And this is a great interview. And if you want to get in touch with her, it'll be in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. So again, for today's guest, Janelle Goins of the Emerald Turtle, we're going to give all the connections in the show notes. And of course, the Can of Butter Bay, Victoria. You can find her. She's got a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> for my um, can of bro, David Jazz. You didn't have much to do today. So good to see you there. Checking it out. It's still fun, and, uh, though. It's always fun. It's always fun. It's always learn something new. Um, and our Canon Mom social team, Catherine and Hayden, another great job this week. I want to thank Josh Lampkin and Bella Jaffe for writing and performing the Canon Mom theme music. And most importantly, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canon Mom show where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry. One story at a time please follow Canamom show on social media subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast and remember to enter to win 
the women of the amazing Technicolor Cannabis Quilt. Details to follow. There's going to be one way to enter. You got to do, give me your email, and then who knows. I'm Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannon Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.